Uh, you should have an outline of the sermon on the back of your sheets, and we'll be looking at page 902 of the Bibles you got on the way in. That's John 15, 18 to 16, 15. Page 902. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and, and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he comes, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's uh, great to be with you all again. We're carrying on in John. Last week we did verses 1 to 17. And we saw in them some of the immense benefits of abiding in Jesus. We saw that if we depend on Jesus and we obey him and we listen to his message he causes us to be fruitful believers, people who know that God listens to their prayers, people who glorify God and through whom the world sees a bit of God's beauty, wisdom, and power, people who are assured that they remain in Jesus' love, whatever the circumstances, and people who have access to a sort of joy from God that doesn't matter about the circumstances. We saw that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be that sort of people and that through Jesus, we're people who have friendship 
with God. It's a very uh, encouraging passage, and you know, Jesus says in verse 11 of, uh, of that section, Are these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full? He wants us to be encouraged by those verses. So Jesus ultimately is our pastor. He, more than anyone else, is our pastor and our minister, more than elders or ministers in the church. And the Bible, his words, are his pastoral care for his people. I think often you get people talking about Bible teaching and pastoral care as if they're separate things, but they're not. The Bible is a pastoral book. It's written with a pastoral intention to care for his people. In, in, a verse, in verse 11, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. In verse 17, he says, These things I command you so that you will love one another. His goal for them with those words is that they will enjoy a proper fellowship with each other as God's community. Today's passage, once again, isn't theoretical, but Jesus has a pastoral intention with these words. He says in 16 verse 1, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. He says this section in John because for those who follow him, there will be times when it is immensely difficult to do so. Sometimes the pressure exerted on God's people by the surrounding culture will be crushing. But Jesus here speaks to his people so that they won't break under the pressure and fall away from the faith. He speaks to them so that they won't be shocked and lose trust in Jesus when they face opposition and that they won't be discouraged or lose the joy that they had in Jesus. Jesus says these things to stop us from falling away because things are going to be difficult. And that is the first point today. There is a cost to abiding in Jesus. It's helpful for us to remember that at this point, Jesus is talking to his close disciples. Soon Jesus is going to send them out into the world to proclaim his gospel and his message. And he's preparing them for that. He says in verses 18 to 19, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. As the disciples are sent out into the world to preach Jesus' gospel, there's not an expectation that they're going to be welcomed. Jesus says that the world will hate them. And it's because they don't belong to the world anymore. In John, you're either abiding in Christ or you're abiding in the world. And the world specifically is a way of talking about a humanity that is still in rebellion against God. The world is the humanity that doesn't know God. But through Jesus, God's people know him. Jesus reveals God to his people. And through Jesus, his disciples and his people are fundamentally not in rebellion against God anymore. God's people who believe the gospel and abide in Jesus, for them, sin is no longer nature to them. It does happen, but at the core, we're given a new heart and we're at peace with God. 
John says that you're born again if you're a believer in Jesus. You're a new creation. And it's great news because it means that you're at peace with God and you will dwell with him face to face in heaven. But for now, we need to be ready for hard consequences. I think one way of thinking about this is when, when surgeons do an organ transplant, it takes a lot of careful preparation. Because sometimes the body that receives a new organ realizes that that organ doesn't belong to it. It's able to tell that that organ doesn't find its origins in that body. And when it realizes that, the immune system attacks it. It's called transplant rejection. The body rejects the new organ and attacks it, even though it's a good thing for the body. And that's going to be the experience of the disciples here. Because Jesus says in 19, if you're of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, therefore, the world hates you. The disciples here and believers now who accept their message are fundamentally part of Jesus, renewed, at peace with God, expecting a new creation. But the world at large isn't at peace with God. The world recognizes the difference between those who belong to Jesus and those who belong to the world. That's what Jesus gets at in verse 20. He says in 18 to 19, they're not going to belong in the world anymore. But in 20 to 21, he warns them that their experience of ministry, the disciples' experience of ministry, will be like Jesus's. They will experience persecution. Jesus endured a lot of persecution in his ministry. People at various times picked up rocks to stone him. Some people tried to push him off a cliff. Ultimately, he was crucified for what he was saying. And Jesus tells the apostles that they are to expect a similar reception. He says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The apostles aren't to be discouraged when people don't accept their message and try to silence them because exactly the same thing happened to Jesus. Amidst that stark warning, there is some encouragement. Jesus says, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. The apostles and their message will be hated by many, but there will be some who listen and keep their word. Jesus gives the promise of gospel fruit despite affliction and persecution. I think that still rings true now. There are places in the world where persecution is fierce and deadly. But there are still those, even in those places, who keep the word of the apostles, people who listen to the gospel and are saved. Jesus also warns the disciples here that they will experience causeless hatred. He says, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that, that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. The world hated Jesus even though he didn't do anything wrong. And he warns the disciples that they will share that experience when he sends them out. So Jesus gives all these warnings to his apostles, but how does it affect us? The apostles had a particular role in the church. They were the foundation of the church. It's their words that are the New Testament, not ours. Do these warnings only apply to them? Well, Jesus is 
clear to them that they're not hated because of who they are, but because of who they follow. Jesus says, these things they will do to you on account of my name. If we follow the same Savior, listen to the same words, we shouldn't be surprised when we have a similar experience to them. We shouldn't be surprised if we don't feel like we belong in our society or culture. We shouldn't be surprised if we often face dilemmas between being clear with our beliefs or being liked. Sometimes people will keep you at arm's length because you're, you're that sort of Christian. It's less and less unusual to be insulted for being a Christian. I've, I've been told that I'm insane for what I believe, even though I, I don't think <laughs> I believe anything unreasonable. And sometimes it's, it's not as upfront as that. Some people will ice you out, as it were. They'll just distance themselves bit by bit because they realize more and more about what you believe. And Jesus warns us about all these things so that we can keep going and not fall away. How difficult would it be if Jesus hadn't warned his people in advance about this? We'd be very confused. The gospel is a good thing. Why would it be rejected? We'd be disappointed at the lack of fruit. We'd be worried and discouraged. But the gospel will save people even when it's unpopular, is what Jesus promises. And that's because the gospel has the power of God behind it. Jesus explains that the Holy Spirit does that work in the world powerfully through the gospel and through his people. And that's what the next two points are about. Firstly, the Spirit is at work in the world to bear witness. See this in verses 26 and 27 and verses 8 to 10 of chapter 16. The Spirit's work is to bear witness. Courts use witness testimony to discern the truth. And it's really important that the court has credible witnesses who do that. And we see that the Holy Spirit in this chapter is at work in the world to bear witness similarly to the truth about Jesus and the truth about the world. The Holy Spirit is the one who delivers the truth about Jesus to his people and the truth about how the world is. In verse 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. I don't know if you've ever wondered what the Holy Spirit actually does. You might know that uh, the Father is like the, the planner. He knows from eternity past everything that's going to happen. We know that the Son, Jesus, is the one who took on human flesh to live with us and to die for us. But what's the Holy Spirit doing? This chapter is very instructive for seeing why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit from heaven to us. Jesus says the Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. See, no one truly knows Jesus unless the Holy Spirit is at work in that person. Unless the Holy Spirit works a miracle on someone, they, won't, they will never see Jesus for who he is. We see it illustrated very well in the Gospels. Some of the, some of the people hated Jesus. Some people said he was in league with the devil. Jesus was their enemy. He's, he's a bad guy in their eyes. Others were less cynical, but 
still wrong. You might remember Jesus asked Peter, who did people say I am? And Peter replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. It's not necessarily vindictive, but Jesus isn't Elijah. Jesus isn't John the Baptist. People end up hating Jesus or being simply wrong about who he is. And it's the Holy Spirit's role in the world to reveal the truth about who Jesus is to people. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, For God who has said, let light shine after the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we believe in Jesus, when we recognize him for who he is, it's because a light has turned on in our hearts that gives us true knowledge of Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit who's shining that light. That's what Jesus meant when he says the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth will bear witness about him. And what's the result in verse 27? Jesus says to the apostles, you also will bear witness about me. Because the Holy Spirit imparted the truth about Jesus to his people, they're able to share that truth with the world too. We see particularly with the apostles that it's their teaching that becomes our scripture. It's their witness empowered by the Holy Spirit that continues to feed and grow us all today. The Holy Spirit delivers the truth about Jesus to our hearts. We wouldn't understand scripture at all if he didn't help us. We wouldn't believe in Jesus if the Holy Spirit didn't help us. We wouldn't love him. We wouldn't submit to his instruction. We'd be wrong about him if the Holy Spirit didn't help us. We might end up hating him if the Holy Spirit didn't work in our hearts. So that's why we, we can trust what's in the Bible because the Bible is the Holy Spirit's written testimony about Jesus. Even when it's unpopular and people think it's ridiculous, it might even attract hatred from people. But you can still trust the words of the Spirit. Don't abandon the Bible because of what people think of it. So the Spirit reveals the truth about Jesus and he also reveals the truth about the world. Listen to verses 8 to 10. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit here to convict the world about its sin. When he says convict, the, sen the sense of the word is to expose something for what it really is. That's per perhaps what it's like when the Holy Spirit works in us. We start to understand that we're sinners. We understand that we don't have any righteousness of our own. We understand that we wouldn't have a leg to stand on when we stand before God in judgment. Robert Murray McChain wrote a great hymn and he talks about his spiritual state before he became a Christian. He says, I once was a stranger to grace and to God. I knew not my danger and felt not my load. Without the gospel, the world is a collection of strangers to God. They don't know him. And nobody really knows their state before him until the Holy Spirit makes them aware. 
The Holy Spirit comes to expose us and to open our eyes to what we are without Jesus. And the Holy Spirit shows the world that it can expect judgment. Jesus says it will convict the world. He will convict the world concerning judgment. When the Holy Spirit works on our hearts, we realize that God is very good. And we realize that we are very sinful. And the rational conclusion for that is that God is going to do something about it. That he'll judge it. In Robert's hymn, he says, When free grace awoke me by light from on high, then legal fears shook me. I trembled to die. When, when grace awakes a person, it's, not, it's often not joy that comes first, but, but fear. Fear of God's judgment. When he says legal fear shook me, I trembled to die, it's because he's scared to die. He's scared to stand before the face of God because of his legal fears. He knows he's done wrong. He knows God will pronounce him guilty. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning judgment. He goes on to say, no refuge, no safety in myself could I see. The Lord has to be my righteousness. If he has any hope for God to see him as innocent and righteous rather than guilty, God himself has to give him that. He hasn't got any of his own. The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning righteousness. The Holy Spirit does that through Scripture. The Gospel alerts people to their need for God. We can trust the Bible to do that because it's the Holy Spirit's words. The Bible is our resource for telling people about Jesus and persuading people that they need Him. it's, It's not to say that when you try and share the Bible with your friends, you need to go to town to them and tell them how bad they are. But you, you can have assurance that if you share the Bible in any way with any of your non-believing friends, the Spirit will be at work to convict them and to reveal Jesus to them. Your best bet to bring someone to Jesus is to share the Holy Spirit's words with them. Because that's the Holy Spirit's job. It's his role to convict and to bring someone to belief. And he does that through his words. So far then, we know that Jesus' message will be opposed. People who cling to his words shouldn't be surprised by hatred. But we cling to his words because the Holy Spirit is at work through them. Through his words, the Holy Spirit awakens people to their sin and shines the light of Christ in their hearts. So that's why we still cling to the message. But how is Jesus going to strengthen his people to endure the hatred described in this passage, the killing, the being put out of the community. Well, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to preserve them. And that's the final point today. The Holy Spirit preserves us. It's clear in this passage that Jesus is about to go away. He says in verse 5, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And the disciples are so worried that they don't even ask where he's going. So who's, who's going to take care of them when Jesus is gone? Jesus looked after them spiritually. He, he taught them the truth. When Jesus prays in John 17, he, he remembers how he treated his disciples and he says, 
while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that is Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus kept them, and he guarded them, but now he's going away. So how is Jesus going to keep teaching them? How is he going to preserve them through the hatred and persecution of the world? I think it's important to note that the biggest risk due to this hatred and persecution isn't isn't death or torture or the loss of possessions. He says in verse 16, verse 1, I've said these things to keep you from falling away. He doesn't say I've said these things to keep you from suffering or I've said these things to keep you from dying. The real danger is that the pressure will cause them to depart from Jesus' teaching and give up. So how will he preserve them? And how will he preserve us now from the same danger? Listen to verses 12 to 15 of chapter 16. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to continue protecting his people when he's gone. He sends the Holy Spirit to keep them from falling away, to keep them safe. Jesus says in verse 14, the Holy Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. He does that because Jesus is physically gone. He is in heaven. But the Holy Spirit takes what belongs to Christ and brings it down to his people. That's how it worked back then. Jesus delivered more teaching after he ascended to Peter and John and his apostles and Jude and Paul through the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascends to heaven in Acts 1, but there's lots of scripture that comes after that. But it's because the Holy Spirit delivered it to them. The Holy Spirit delivered God's message to them. And it works a bit like that now. The Bible is complete now. We don't expect a similar experience of revelation to the apostles. But the Holy Spirit does give us a saving understanding of his word. He delivers to us an understanding of the Bible such that we can have true faith before God. Through his words, the Bible, and the present help of the Holy Spirit, Jesus protects all his people from falling away due to the opposition of the world. I'm sure we know of many stories of people around the world who are being killed and tortured. If you read any church history book, you can find a catalogue of persecutions. So many people who confess Jesus as a Lord are killed for that confession. But Jesus saved them. He saved them by his word. He saved them by his spirit. And all those people who suffer for the sake of Christ are now joyfully in the presence of God. Jesus' word and spirit were powerful enough to keep his disciples back then. They are powerful enough to keep us now. 
So don't be surprised at the various forms of hatred and persecution for our faith because the world hates Jesus and it will hate people who listen to him. Don't be afraid to be clear about the gospel with people around us because the Holy Spirit is at work through the gospel even when it seems unlikely. And when you're feeling the heat, receive the protection offered by the Holy Spirit and the pastoral care offered by God through his word. For this second sub-point, I wanted to talk about verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I think it's striking that Jesus said it's to the disciples' advantage that he goes away. Because the helper of the Holy Spirit will not come to them. I don't know about you, but I've, I've often thought, I, I wish I could have been one of those people who saw Jesus and heard his words. Then I, then I would be really strong. I wouldn't waver in the face of opposition because I'd seen him and I'd heard his teaching with my own ears. It's, it's difficult to consider how we can be at any advantage with Jesus not visibly present with us. How can it be an advantage for them that he goes away? But the answer becomes clear when you listen to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit delivers all the blessings of God earned by Jesus Christ to God's people. And the Holy Spirit remains with us permanently wherever we are. He is at work in, in this church today, in all of us when you share the gospel, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness about Jesus through you. When, you. when you read and meditate on the Bible and listen to healthy Bible teaching, the Holy Spirit is providing you with a saving understanding of God. When you face trials and hardships through the Holy Spirit, you have an unbroken connection to Jesus. We're preserved by God because Jesus uh, is preserved by God. And the Holy Spirit brings uh, all the blessings of God through Jesus to us. One writer gave an analogy of the church is like a person who's up to, up to their neck in water. How does, how does the body below the water survive? How do the arms stay living and the legs they're alive because the head is alive and they're connected to the head. The head is still able to breathe above the water. Similarly, we remain living spiritually because Jesus remains living spiritually. I just wanted to finish by being as, as clear as possible about this, what this sermon is because it's, it's, it's important we will experience hatred and difficulty for believing and preaching Jesus' gospel. So why should we endure? Because the Holy Spirit is at work through the gospel to reveal God and to convict the world about his need for Jesus. And if that's the why, then how can I practically endure these difficulties? We can because the Holy Spirit is at work through the gospel to keep you from falling away and to keep you connected to Jesus. 
So let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he's revealed you to us and that he's taken us out of our sins. We pray that uh, we would be, we'd receive the assurance that the Holy Spirit is with us and the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. We pray, Father, that you'd knit us all together as a community that loves one another. We pray that we would have joy from knowing you. And we pray that you'd keep us from falling away and being crushed under the pressure of the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.